Hi, and welcome to the Southern Connecticut Church of Christ podcast. We've provided a collection of sermons, our midweek lessons, music, and many more tools to help you grow in your walk with God. We are living in an unprecedented and challenging time, but we invite you to listen in and be encouraged as we fight through this together. Be sure to subscribe and feel free to share this podcast with your friends and loved ones. Thanks for listening. Good morning, church. It's great to be together again today. If you've got your Bibles nearby, I want you to go ahead and turn over to John chapter 1. I'm really looking forward to continuing with our study on the life of Jesus. We began this a few weeks ago, answering the question, why Jesus? And why God gave us Jesus and the the role that Jesus has in our lives. We then moved on to the question, who is this Jesus? What did people say? What does the Bible say? What did God say? What do we say? And today we're going to begin to dive a little deeper into the character of Jesus. There are so many great characteristics of Jesus that as we study these out, we're going to be more and more transformed into his likeness. But today I want to begin with looking at the heart of Jesus. And of all the aspects of Jesus, I believe the heart is probably the most important. So that's where we're going to start. God did some amazing things when he gave us Jesus. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The heart of Jesus can be summed up in two words, grace and truth. And his heart was not just that he loved people, which he did, but it's how he loved them. His love had real substance, real depth. And I believe the two most important elements in love are grace and truth. Why is that? When we look at Jesus's love, there are so many ways that we can describe it. We can say his compassion, his kindness, his empathy, his patience. I mean, that list could go on and on. But I believe it's this foundation of grace and truth that everything else is built on. And if all the different ways that Jesus showed his love were like the books on a shelf, so picture a crowded bookshelf, and every one of those books is one of the aspects of Jesus' love, right? So there's the grace, there's the, the compassion book, there's the patience book, etc., all those books overflowing, the bookends holding it all together would be grace on one end and truth on the other. So we're going to take a look at those today. We're going to begin with grace. What is grace? And why is it so important to love? Well, grace is a gift, right? It's something you didn't earn, probably something you didn't deserve, but you got it anyway. And what's the first thing that comes to mind when you think of grace? For some, it might just be as simple as a pass. So let's say you're, you're, you're driving in your car 
and uh, you're going 40 miles an hour in a 35 mile an hour zone, right? And you get pulled over. You assume you're probably going to get a ticket, but you find out that that five mile an hour over is a, is a, is a grace zone. And so there's no ticket. You just get a verbal warning and you get let off, right? That's a great feeling. Or maybe you're a little late in paying your mortgage payment or your rent payment and you know it's supposed to be there on the first, but you mail it out late and you realize it's probably not going to get there till the second or the third. And you begin to panic because you know this is going to be a late charge and maybe a ding on your credit. So you begin to think through, oh man, you know, what, what can I do? But you find out later that your bank or your landlord gave you a grace period, a three day grace period, and you're okay. You made it through. All is good. See, when those kind of things happen, we're relieved. But let's be honest. Is, is it because the police or the bank or your landlord loves you? Probably not, right? It was, it was probably just more of a courtesy. And there's a good chance that you're not going to get it again. But there is a grace that is far greater than that. And it's the grace that we get from Jesus. And that grace is firmly rooted in love. Well, what does that look like? And what can we do with it? Look at me in John chapter eight. This is a great story about grace. We're going to begin in verse one. It kind of jumps into midway through a sentence, but I think you'll get the idea. Beginning uh, in kind of what looks like verse one, but it goes back a little bit. Anyway, you get it. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down, started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Well, then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Let's look at the facts. She was guilty, right? She wasn't suspected of adultery. She was caught in adultery. Now, the law of which they were under was very clear about this. It was a capital offense. Everyone knew that. They all knew that. Jesus knew that. And the woman knew that. And it was fully expected that, that Jesus would allow them to carry out the sentence. But he does something completely different. We've all been there. Maybe the offense was different, but I know because you're human that, 
there have been times, maybe many times, probably plenty of times, when you've been guilty. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And to a, a, a lesser or greater degree, we've all sinned and missed the mark at some point. And I love the way Isaiah says it in Isaiah 59. It says, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor is ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities has separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face so that he will not hear. Now, left alone, that would be some pretty bad news, right? But God wasn't going to leave it alone. He was going to help us deal with it. And that next verse in Romans 3 that I read earlier is really the good news. I'm going to reread the first one and then the second one. This is Romans 3, 23 and 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And so that, that grace demonstrated on the cross brought the power of forgiveness to you. No matter what you did, no matter when you did it, or no matter how much of it you did. And the Apostle Paul has such a great perspective on this. He has such an amazing view on grace. It meant so much to him, no doubt, because of his own life. And I think he oftentimes reflected on his pre-Christian days when he was responsible for the death of Christians, persecuting them. And he was so blown away, so amazed that God's grace had forgiven him and the depth of his sin. And that now he could be in the light and he could be in that right relationship with God. He was overwhelmed with gratitude because of the grace of God. And he says something really awesome in Ephesians chapter 1 in verse 7. He says this, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. It's as though Paul is saying, like, I'm just bathed in this grace. It just completely covers me. That's how he lived his life. Now, let's look back at that woman in question. She had no more sin than you did. And Jesus let her go. He lavished her with grace. And he sends her on her way with a charge. Leave your life of sin. And considering that she just walked away from a death penalty, my guess is that's probably what she did. And isn't, isn't this the story of all of us? We have sin that's worthy of death. Jesus comes along and he sets us free. And it's really the story of his grace. But there's a lot more to the story with this adulterous woman. Because there were religious people bent on condemning her. She wasn't being charged by the people outside of her fellowship, but from those within. Now granted, it was really Jesus they were after, but she was the one that was going to pay the penalty. 
And as they were accusing her, Jesus calls them out on their own sin, to which they had nothing to say. And they drop their stones, and one by one, they begin to walk away. Until there's, there's nobody standing between this woman and her sin than the grace of Jesus. That's a pretty amazing thing. Don't we all love receiving grace? I mean, look back at your own sin. Right? There are things that you can look back that you did, that you were a part of, that you said, whatever, and you are so grateful that God had given you that grace. Maybe there's some, a sin you committed against somebody else and they were graceful toward you. So we love receiving that grace. The real question is how are we with extending grace? If we're to capture this, this heart of Jesus and love the way he did, then grace has to be one of our bookends as well. We are a very diverse church family, whether it be culture, age, station in life, race, gender, maturity, depth of spirituality, emotional and physical health, life experiences, past and present. Functioning together as a family for us is no easy thing. And expecting that someone else is going to be at a place that, that you want them to be at any given moment is very tricky at the very least and dangerous at the very most. Now, expectations in the right context are good. Jesus has expectations, right? Jesus expects us to be disciples if we claim to follow him. So within that, he expects devotion, commitment. He expects us to be surrendered and righteous and godly and, and loving and sacrificial. He expects us to be fruitful. He expects, expects us to be faithful and, and growing and maturing on this journey. And I think it's perfectly right and good that we can expect that from each other, right? So that, that maintains the integrity of our fellowship. If there was a brother or sister that we know was in some really bad, egregious sin, and they were not wanting to repent of it, but still claiming to be part of the fellowship and not talking about it, then we would expect that there would be some change there because we all want to be living by that same standard, right? So that's important. We, we need to hold each other accountable to the standard of Jesus. But the tricky part is when we don't take into consideration all these differences, all the things that I've said, the, the culture, the age, station in life, emotional health, depth of spirituality, maturity, life experiences. I mean, that list can go on and on and on. And we make judgments about expectations unfairly. This is especially dangerous, not so much when it's a sin, because that's, that's a crisis. That's got to be dealt with, right? But when it's more like, hey, I think you're not really being enough of a disciple. You're not praying enough, or you're not sharing your faith enough, or you're not doing something else enough, and we make judgments as to where that person is. That's when it can get a little bit dangerous. Now, the challenging part about this is that we are called to judge each other. Go back to 1 Corinthians 5, verse 12, and you'll see that. But what we too often miss 
is that we are called to, to love each other first. So we can, we can make judgments about each other based on what we see. But if those judgments, whether it's calling out somebody with an egregious sin or somebody who we think has really become lukewarm in their discipleship, if those judgments aren't preceded with a real love for that person, that's when it becomes dangerous. That's when things go awry and fall apart. So we've got to love first. Part of loving somebody is knowing them. If we fail to do that, then all we're doing is picking up a stone. We would be much wiser to say, look, I know Jesus expects this of you, right? So we can see that right here in the Bible. Open up the Bible. That's a good, that's a good thing. And, and I want this for you too. And I think you want this for you too. So let me help you get there. Because the truth is, at whatever point you are seeing a weakness in your brother or sister, odds are you've been there too. So you know exactly what that's like. And so instead of picking up a stone, pick up the cross and help them. Don't condemn them. Now, the second thing is truth. That's the other bookend, truth. What truth did Jesus bring? And what does that have to do with love? And, and why is that even the other bookend? Well, look at Mark chapter 10. We'll take a look. Mark 10, a very familiar story beginning in verse 17. We're not going to read the whole story, just a little bit of it. That really pertains to this point. Beginning of verse 17, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Well, at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. So what are the facts here? Well, one, the man was interested in knowing more about God, right? And the second thing is he had a belief, or at the very least, he had a respect for Jesus. He called him good teacher. But we also know that he was pretty confident in himself. He says, look, everything you've said, Jesus... I've done. I've checked all the boxes, so I'm good, right? And, and verse 21 is priceless. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And I wish I could have been there to see what that look was. And, you know, I kind of picture it's that, it's that look you, you give your kid when you send them to clean the room, right? And the room's a disaster. You just walked in and you literally couldn't even get the door open, right? So, you know, okay, this is like a 30-minute project. And you send your kid off to clean the room and they come back three minutes later and they say it's done, right? And so you, you give them that look, you love them, but you're like, are you serious? You're thinking there's no way that could have happened. So Jesus looked at him, but he loved him, but he was also telling him the truth. He gives him the benefit of the doubt. He doesn't even question him on whether or not he was or he wasn't abiding by all the things that Jesus says. 
I think Jesus knew he probably wasn't, but he, he doesn't question it. But he adds to this. He says, sell all of your stuff and give the money to the poor. Then we're good. And we know what happened, right? The man wasn't happy. He walked away sad. Jesus spoke the truth in love. And isn't that what he always does? The question is never, is Jesus being truthful here, right? When we read something in the Bible, especially something that, that really challenges us. It's not like, eh, is that, is, that, you know, is that really true? That's never the question. It's always true. You know what the question is? Are we going to accept it? Or are we going to walk away from it? Because whatever it is that Jesus says, we know that it's in love, that it's for our own good. So again, do we, do we walk away or we, do, we, we walk toward it? One of the strongest evidences of Jesus' love for us was a willingness to speak the truth no matter what. And isn't that a crucial part of real love? When Paul was giving his discourse on love in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, love rejoices with the truth. That starts with Jesus. And that's why it's a bookend. It's what Jesus brought to the world. The Bible is full of Jesus' truths, salvation, lordship, discipleship, relationships, integrity, justice, equality, righteousness, morality. Whether it's easy to accept or hard to accept, we need to accept it. There's no walking away from Jesus. But this also applies to each other, to how we are with each other. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, we read this. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. As much as we need grace with each other, we also need to be honest with each other. We need to speak truthfully in love. These are not mutually exclusive. In fact, they, they very much work together. If there's something you need to say to a brother or sister, say it with grace and with love. Now, be prepared that you might not be 100% right in what you think is the truth. But that's why we have conversation. That's why we get together and we talk and we listen and we, we work things out and and so maybe, you know, what you think was a hardline truth wasn't completely. And maybe what you're hearing isn't quite right. And then what you're saying is not quite right. But we kind of work together until we get here. But we've got to be willing to speak in truth. And we've got to be willing to listen with grace and speak with grace. Because that's part of love. That's why we have the conversations. We may very well think differently about things at times. And that's part of our diversity. We all come in here from very different places. But when it comes to what Jesus says, that's why the Bible is the great equalizer. When it comes to what Jesus says, there can be no argument. We've got to be unified there. That's the truth. And Jesus never backed away from the truth and neither should we. The heart is always where things begin. Jesus' heart was like that crowded bookshelf, overflowing with love, with grace on one end and truth on the other. And that kept it all together. That's our example. Let's do the same thing.
Amen. Thanks, guys. This has been an episode of the Southern Connecticut Church of Christ podcast. Please subscribe so you can keep up to date with the latest podcast.